0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: I wish more people had asked me what I want to do and challenged me to define the wants in in more creative ways and I encourage parents to do the same. Um, I like drawing. I've always wanted to do art, but I... Went to art class or had it at school, and the art teacher told me I didn't wasn't very good, so I should go and find something else to do. Um, pity, and you know, it's it's find things your children want to do and find a way help them to do it in a way that they can grow. You know, even if if they want to learn a musical instrument, help them learn a new instrument. If they want to be creative, find a way that they can express that safely and encourage them. because so much of our life we spend patching up the things we're not good at and so little of our life we spend accelerating the areas we can excel at that the sooner we find those, start those and do that acceleration the more fulfilling life we'll have.
0: That's unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. Michael, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Shrini, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, likewise. So I came across your work because you actually wrote in to tell me a little bit about the work that you were doing around Zone of Genius, and you showed me some of the mental models and frameworks that you apply to this concept, all of which we will get into. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to start by asking you, what social group were you a part of uh, when you were in high school, and
1: what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? I heard you were going to ask that question, um, but I didn't prepare an answer. So the the social groups change at different ages. Um, I'll talk about my sort of high school world. I stood out because I came from a an established family. My father was a doctor. I was used to participating. My early education was in a, a public school system, which is the private system in, in the UK. Um, but... Some people respected me, me being different, and some people didn't. They thought, you know, he's a snob, he doesn't fit in, we don't care. So I was happy to surround myself with people who like to study, who people who like to work, and then we found we did barn dancing. You know, I did sports. So I was always happy to find a group of people who want to do something focused, and I was very happy to join in. Mm-hmm.
0: Coming from a, a family that uh, had a reputation for prestige, was there any pressure from uh, family to pursue certain career paths or to focus on certain
1: interests? Um, yes. <laughs> and um, So my, my father's a doctor. I'm one of three sons. Um, and interestingly, there was no pressure really to become a doctor. But there was structure around, you know, go to school, you're not allowed off school, do your homework um and you know the focus was on that's the right thing to do um you know you read the book you do what the teacher says you fill in the tests and you get straight a's um a's weren't easy for me but i sort of worked at it and it was frustrating that i had to work i felt twice as hard as some of my cohort to get straight a's and i didn't quite achieve it but the expectation was you'd get a good education you'd go to university you'd focus on something proper my proper skill was engineering and and then you'd get a job and you'd be comfortable for the rest of your life doing what you should be doing and mm-hmm. it didn't quite work out like that
0: <laughs> yeah well it rarely does for for most people uh i think that in my mind that is a sort of cultural narrative that's a one-size-fits-all solution as somebody whose work centers around this concept of zone of genius, why do you think we have this narrative uh, or this prescriptive life plan, particularly within the education system, that rarely leads to a person's zone of genius?
1: Um, I think it comes from you know comfort. We all like to fit in um, and the structure around us is about doing things the way they used to be done because that worked in the past and therefore it'll work in the future. You know, there are people breaking the model with sort of Montessori schools and different Rhinus uh, Rudolf Steiner, higher education, trying to say, no, let's just some people be creative, grow, and then they'll become the right fit rather than force them through this series of textbooks, this series of learning structures that, that teach you really to think one way and it might not be the way you were designed to think. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a, sort of, you know, my reflection is, I learned to use, sort of, if you like, simplistic my left hand brain. I learned to do math and engineering, and I was competent at it. But it, it clearly wasn't my zone of genius. And I wish I'd twigged that thirty years ago rather than had to sort of wade later in my life to find things I really love doing that I'm easy are easy to me and I have fun at.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that comfort uh, really is often what drives this, and I heard uh, Susan David once say in a TED talk that discomfort is the price of admission for a a meaningful life, and that really struck me because I think about all the sort of things that I've changed uh, over the course of my life, and particularly in the last ten years as I've worked on this project, and how how I I guess do you uh, build that tolerance for discomfort? that allows you to eventually find your zone of genius?
1: Um, you know, I feel you have to be open to uh, receive messages, and if you're closed, you won't get them. The language I've tended to think about more is, is feedback fuel success. If you can't find a way of giving yourself or getting other people to give you feedback, you're going to stay doing what you're doing. You think you're right. You probably aren't. And and because it's comfortable, you'll just stay there. And, and what a waste of potentially such, you know, bigger talents. So it's difficult to go and search discomfort. Um, and yet, you know, I like to push just a little bit so people fall down. Because once people fall down and realize they can pick themselves up again and brush themselves off and move forward again, it's always progress. You know, people who are trying to learn a new sport, skiing or something, and, oh, I mustn't fall down, I mustn't fall down. Don't make any progress. And and I like in the zone of genius that we're not really pushing people. We're just asking them to answer some questions, but we're softly confronting them with an answer that may or may not be the one they expected. And then they have to internalize that because they were their answers to a standard set of questions. It's not whether I'm right or wrong, but I am getting them to think about now how they think, and that's probably the first time in their lives many people have done that.
0: Walk me through uh, leaving high school to the work that you're doing today. Um, how did you get there? What were the significant inflection points? What really planted the seed for this idea of exploring uh, this zone of genius concept and developing the frameworks that you've developed? Gosh, that could be a long story.
1: Um, Which is totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I quickly mentioned that you know, at school, I was good at science. I liked practical things. Um, I lived a bit in the countryside, so transport was important to me. So I learned to fix bikes, then I learned to fix cars. So here I am good at fixing stuff, good with physical things. And therefore, oh, you're an engineer. And I didn't have any reason to say I wasn't an engineer. Those are the things I liked. And that headed me towards university, studying mechanical engineering. And that, you know, I was competent. Um, I liked the practical side of it. This was stuff I understood, I could explain, I felt I could fit in. But, uh, it, you know, there was a bit where of the, I don't know, six, 700 lectures over four or five years, one stood out, and it was absolutely nothing to do with engineering. It was all to do with management and organizational development and Hertzberg and hygiene factors and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, you know, I remember it 35 years later as if it was yesterday, and it's the only lecture I can remember. Um, so that was obviously formative at some level. I uh, did some engineering work, but quickly got on to the sort of customer side of companies, in you know, a technical side, so doing service support. And that seemed to fit. I'm now dealing with people, dealing with technical stuff, and I'm earning money, so I'm sort of in the right place. Um, I was traveling a lot, and it got a bit... I need to make life choices. I was just starting a family, and I didn't want to be the dad that wasn't there when the kids were growing up. And so I, I did stop that job and look for something different. I tried to go self-employed because there's a, an entrepreneur in me that every five years throws in their job and tries to find something better to do. Um, it didn't quite work out, but I ended up joining a Swiss training company um, called Crowdhammer and they were fundamentally in helping me understand that the way we communicate and the way we think can have a huge influence. And that, you know, we focus most of our attention on our conscious mind, and yet it's our subconscious mind that does all the controlling. Um, And in that sort of subconscious space, I was then awakened to the fact that, you know, an open question has a huge more power than a closed question. Why? Because it actually invites people to inquire about themselves and other people rather than impose on them basically a pre-ordered decision. So here I am interested in people now doing some um, coaching, training sessions, loving it, and it's still, you know, it's almost too far the other way. My life's now structured around people, and I've lost a little bit of this sort of technical side that I've lived in for 20 years, and I needed a bit back. Um, So I ended up at Ford, um, and here I am now, in a big company that somebody's actually heard of doing useful work. Um, I got onto a nice project in electric vehicle space. um, This is 15 years ago. And here I am planning the future, using technology to help for a brighter future. Um, And it's a good fit. I'm doing project management. It's a big team. So here's people, here's technology. And yet every single problem I have is usually a people problem, not a technological problem. And you know, Ford was spending millions of dollars to launch electric cars 20 years ago. It wasn't technical problems. It was people problems. And this really fueled me into saying, well, I need to choose what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'd much rather stay now in the people problem space and fix that than in the technical problem space. So I'm moving around a bit. I'm looking for jobs in that space. I try a couple of companies on my own. And again, in the startup space in Boulder, Colorado, and I meet up with Brian Tsuchia, who's trying to do a small incubator and runs a big meetup for startups. And I I reach out and say, look, I'm interested in entrepreneurship. I'm interested in people. Can we work on a collaboration whereby, you know, you've got this practice of helping them as an individual. What if we get two voices in there? Then maybe they, they get more dimension. And he liked the idea, and we planned some training programs um, and that sort of was then the foundation of us collaborating to help solopreneurs and other entrepreneurs get going. Um, and, you know, one morning he was explained to me, he had an interview with one of his uh, clients and, you know, he, he'd he gone through his standard four thinking model. And, you know, there's these dreamers and these builders and these designers, architects and these people pleasers. Um, and, you know, she's obviously one of these visionaries and uh, dreamers and i i sort of put the phone down on him and i and politely um, but i went and googled this concept of people thinking differently and i called him back 20 minutes later saying brian you know this thinking differently concept i, I love it but i've googled it i can't find it and He said well I, it's obvious and i thought okay well it's obvious to you it's not obvious to me i said where does it come from well every time i meet somebody it's easy for me. They're always one of these three or four dominant categories. Um, I I said, okay, well, this is great stuff for me and my technical structural background. I can't just rely on the Brian Suchier opinion on this. We need to do some research, and we need to come up with a, a structured way so I can help these people as much as you can. And ideally, we'll try and help them help themselves because that's scalable. Um, and. There in the journey, if you like, started with me creating a set of questions that didn't work. But it inspired Brian to say, okay, well, that's because they're the wrong questions. Here, try these. Um, and we got those questions and we put them in front of a group of, it was one of his meetups, 100 people. We were using Excel spreadsheets and other things to sort of go through the test. But we got great feedback. People liked the idea of thinking how they think, they liked the idea of being assisted or to give themselves permission to spend more of their time doing what they're good at. Brian loved the idea of being classified as a dreamer, visionary, and now he was, could go and do more of this stuff and, and feel comfortable at it. And I was equally empowered to, you've always wanted to be a people person. You've always known this is what you do. Here you are, in, in your language now, clearly identifying as a cultivator. Go cultivate. And, and you're looking for something to do, do this um and keep doing this and see if you can grow it and here we are seven eight years later <laughs> i'm chipping away at it it's grown very steadily and uh, you know 10 fifteen thousand people uh, are more enlightened about how they think and that's that's a great thing and hopefully a few more after this podcast will uh, engage in the process and we can help even more people
0: yeah great right. all right cool we'll, we'll come back to, to some of this uh I want to start with the lecture that you sat in on and, and the one thing that you remember. Uh, why do you think that, that that's not more common? I, I wish I could tell you that there were certain college lectures where I had that experience and I can't think of one.
1: Um, I, it, somehow it's, it, ha- it had to be on the edge. You know, it wasn't something I expected. It wasn't something I was looking for. It was actually a, a professor that other people thought was a waste of time. And that sort of immediately got my attention because I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a supporter of the underdogs, but they have to be an underdog in my opinion, not in somebody else's opinion. And um, so I go into this place, open-minded, looking for an opportunity. And, and it was just, this is obvious. This is fantastic. You know, I've always, I think these are important things And I don't have to read a textbook. I don't have to spend 10 hours studying them. I don't have to do this. I went to the lecture. I get it. It's easy to remember. I wonder if I'll remember it 20 years later. And I do. (laughs) So I don't know what it was about the setup, but it was aligned to me. And therefore, it was easy for me to remember.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. how would you encourage them to look for moments like that or or help their kids find moments like that in their lives?
1: So I wish more people had asked me what I want to do and challenge me to define the wants in, in more creative ways. And I encourage parents to do the same. Um, I like drawing. I've always wanted to do art, but I went to art class or had it at school and the art teacher told me I didn't, wasn't very good, so I should go and find something else to do. Um, pity. And, you know, it's it's find things your children want to do and find a way, help them to do it in a way that they can grow. You know, even if, if they want to learn a musical instrument, help them learn a new instrument. If they want to be creative, find a way that they can express that safely and encourage them um, because so much of our life we spend patching up the things we're not good at and so little of our life we spend accelerating the areas we can excel at that the sooner we find those start those and do that acceleration the more fulfilling life we'll have and and that's i'm a parent i've worked hard with my children to do that they're they're relatively conventional um, in what they're doing but if they come to me they know they're going to get options and encouragement to be on the edge or think outside the box because staying in the box is their choice. It isn't really what I should be stimulating them to be stuck in. So
0: we're talking about vocation and work, and I shared this quote on Facebook yesterday. It was from a book that I read uh, called The Industrial: The, the uh, Zero Marginal Cost, and it was by an economist named Jeremy Rifkin. And he said, a half a century from now, our grandchildren are likely to look back at the era of mass employment in the market with the same sense of utter disbelief as we look upon slavery and serfdom in former times. The very idea that a human being's worth was measured almost exclusively by his or her productive output of goods and services and material wealth will seem primitive, even barbaric, and be regarded as a terrible loss of human value to our progeny living in a highly automated world. As somebody who looks at the zone of genius within people's lives, what do you, what do you think the meaning of, of what Jeremy Rifkin says is for what you teach and what you talk about?
1: Um. Wow. So I think we have a life purpose. I think we need to try and proactively choose and participate in that. Unique life purpose for us as individuals, um, engaging with others. And I don't think society is set up to help us do that. So don't let society drive the conversation. Um, Money to me is is a double-edged sword. If you earn more, you spend more. And yet we strive to earn more and then find ourselves spending more. So the quality of our life very often doesn't improve at all with an increase in material things. You just have more stuff. And then that becomes more baggage and you need a bigger house. And So I'm a a great believer in in find some balance, balance in life, balance in how you think. Um, In some people's eyes, there was balance way back when with slavery. It was just imbalanced on one society, um, and it was wrong. I think in today's, we're not in quite the same imbalances. Wrong. Um but you know, we've got China and India striving to become middle class and live like Americans. Um America if everybody on the planet lived like America, we need what, four, four and a half planets worth of resources now. So it's not the right aspirational goal for the planet. Um and I'm I won't be there to see it. I'd like to think his projections a little pessimistic. Um but I I'm a great believer in, I'd rather trade services and support. I do a lot of mentoring, a lot of coaching, never out of my mouth. First thing is, well, this is how much it's going to cost. Out of my mouth is always, well, let's see if I can help you. And if I can help you, then we can discuss Mm -hmm. where we go from there. And you know, and I said to your, with your model of podcast and everybody else have some of that sense. I meet lots of people like that. I'm optimistic. There are millions out there. And I'd like to hope that prevails in terms of a a society where less constrained by geography now with the internet and everything. We live on a common planet. We only have one planet. And the more of us that help towards life, harmony, balance on that planet, the better off we're all going to be. Wow. Well, let's do this.
0: Um, Let's shift gears and let's get into the four types of people that you were talking about? Can you define them for us um, and talk about the various characteristics of the four types?
1: I'm happy to do so. Um, There are lots of four-type models. Um, We chose to call ours um, a visionary, a builder, architect, and a a cultivator. Um, I'm mentally programmed to talk about them in that order because it's the way (laughs) they've always Come out. Um, and somehow, you know, you have a poster child. Clearly, the visionary is the poster child for our queers and what most people, most people who take the test actually come out in that space, 40%. Um, and for sure, most people who take the case want to come out in that space. Um, they don't all get there. We originally called the space Dreamer um, because we wanted to confront people with this, some sense of non-reality in that but uh, brian did a presentation early on to an mba class and dreamer died so visionary became much more stimulating and we we then were happy to use the label visionary Um visionary people i'm sure a big community um in your world are creative they're creative in a way that they have ideas perpetual ideas Um, every day they wake up with a certainty that they've got a good idea and it's probably better than the idea they had yesterday. Um, They are very independently minded. Um, They're very capable of dealing in chaos because to them, it's just an opportunity to have a new idea and and move forward. You know, why should they be constrained by what other people structures are? Um, They're entitled and empowered to create their own. The these people find themselves um, busy because they have this unlimited fuel of ideas, and and the challenge they find is often that they're insecure about themselves and their ideas. Um, they're worried people are going to steal their ideas without any insight that they're actually going to have another one that might be better tomorrow anyway. Um, they're worried that you know they can't do everything. They try and do everything and can't, and uh, this sort of thinking style basically is. Very useful in a solo space. Um, visionaries tend to attract other visionaries. They have great conversations and they're having the same conversations years later because nothing's actually got um, brought together and fulfilled. So visionaries need to work with other people. Um, in life, we, we often have couples who take the quiz. Very, very rarely is a visionary married to a visionary. Um, it's very, very common that they're married to someone who thinks completely differently because in a life space, you need to find balance and harmony and and a visionary needs balance and harmony with people who think quite radically differently um, in order to stabilize the situation. So this is the creative visionary thinking one way, their opposite thought style is really the builder. So unlike a visionary that would think meditating is a huge benefit to life and well worth an investment of whatever time it takes and should be entered into every day, a builder would say, what a waste of time. I didn't get anything done. Um, you know, it wasn't useful. It it was just purposeless. Um, and that this builder really has a thinking style about continuous improvement. They see things in the world, they see themselves and they measure themselves in movement. Movement of time. How efficiently can we do something? How can things get done better? How can things become faster? This is a person that's often in a project management role or something that they're driven by organized structure, um, and it's a typical product, if you like, of our education because as you go through the education system, you're typically told there's a right answer. If you follow the rules, there's a right. And wrong thing to do. Um, so again, you know where do builders find themselves in structures and organizations where following orders is the right thing to do, where they need this structure and law around them. Um, so that's a whole genre of uh, jobs and positions as well. Um, so we have the, the dreamer creator as a visionary, and we have the builder as the doer, continuous improvement. Um, so now we're into an architect. So an architect is a systems thinking. These are smart people. They're not dreamers, and they're not doers, but they're very intellectually driven around finding a way to do the complicated things once or twice. Give them a problem, get out the way, let them go and think about it, and they're going to come back with a solution, typically an elegant solution, typically something that other people might not have ever thought about, but it's based on information that comes from laws from regulations it's usually not a creative leap of faith but it is a structured intelligent development of whatever the problem was so they're problem solvers they like to work on their own um, and they find themselves in important jobs solving complex problems without too many people involved Um, and then we roll into the cultivators and the cultivators is really the uh, the people space. Um, people-pleasers is one way of looking at it. Um, I see them as sort of the conductor of the orchestra. They're not necessarily excellent musicians, but they know how music is structured and played. But by collecting people together and listening to them and ensuring proper communication goes on, um, they are able to live their lives in their zone of genius because it involves other people and helping other people and working with other people. Um, and at the same time, they're able to express their own selves through love or harmony or balance because they, they exist to to live in a world with lots of other people, helping other people with harmony and balance um, around them. So that, that's the sort of wow. four simple structures, um, and it, it splits – different ways, depending on how you break it in. Um, Visionaries and cultivators are sort of the big picture people. Architects and builders are sort of more the structured, organized people. Um, Architects and visionaries are creative more than cultivators and builders who are more involved with the environment around them, Um, but hopefully that gives you a quick flavor of of what these people are and, and what the thinking styles are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: Is it possible or is it likely that each one has tendencies of the other? Uh, I wonder that because I know that, you know, as you described that, I thought to myself, okay, yeah, in a lot of ways, I probably have certain characteristics of the sort of, you know, visionary thinking that you mentioned. But I also know that one of my sort of uh, gifts or one of my abilities is to look at things through a systems lens, primarily because if I didn't, I wouldn't get a damn thing done. Hence the reason I have numerous systems to get writing done, to produce the podcast, to do everything. There's always a system. And if it, if it wasn't for
1: systems, I would feel just this utter sense of chaos. Um, yes, everybody has all of these. Um, I, my view on this basically is there is a natural area that you're most aligned to. You know, Yes, you could be ambidextrous, but typically most of us are right-handed and some of us are left-handed. Um the same with the brain structure and the, the mind thinking. Most of us, well, in our analysis of seventy percent of them have a single style, but there's a secondary style. You know, some of them are very close together. And you know, from what you explained, we could easily find that, you know, yes you score high in visionary and yes you score high in, in architect style. But one of those is likely to be a more natural alignment to where your passions are, and the other is more an operational ability that allows you to fuel your passions. So, uh, so we should get your results and find out. Yeah, uh,
0: I guess the question that arises from that then is: based on where or, or which of these four categories somebody falls into, how do they then do they then take that and align it? to a, a career choice that allows them to
1: thrive and um, great question I, i'm always i'm asked this a lot and i'm really continually trying to help people understand we're not trying to define what you do and don't do we're trying to help you do it in a way that you're likely to be faster better and quicker so in every job in every activity you know each of the mindsets can thrive um Obviously, the more space there is around the job for that particular opportunity, the more opportunity there is to, to spend more of your time in your, your zone of genius thinking style. Um, it, it's much more the way you do it than what you do. Um, and yet it's this, we did a small company um, analysis. There were 14 people in the company. They were doing technology stuff. And, and go figure, they hired people like them. Fourteen or twelve of the people I think were architects and and what were they bad at sales and social media why because <laughs> they they had to do it, and they did it in a way where they got the systems well've I've posted six things today i 'm told to post six things tomorrow, so i 'm posting and there wasn 't any concept of well actually one that was relevant, that was human, that had this you know that had the tagline right to reflect the image you know would be so much more successful than six done things and this is where you know having the cultivator do the social media is likely to have a better result but the builder or architect or visionary can do the social media as well you know they can do it it's just unlikely to be fun for them and they're not likely to do it as well
0: Mm -hmm. Uh I'm guessing, one, how do people figure out which of the four categories they fall into? I know that you said you guys have a a quiz, which I'm planning on taking. So uh, let's tell people about that. Uh, I guess the other question then is, is, you know, what do they do with that information once they have it?
1: So the, the hope is that they think about how they think. And irrespective of the result of the quiz, the fact that they've invested 10, 15 minutes of their time, Beginning to think about how they think and, and leaning into that space should always be helpful. Um, the result shouldn't be confrontative because it's simply adding up your preferred answers to the questions we asked um, and hopefully is empowering. I, I have had the opportunity to speak to hundreds of people who've taken the quiz. I didn't know them, but I see their four numbers and I'm able to articulate in a, a five minute sort of expression the kind of expectations I would have of somebody who thinks like this and nine times out of ten they go wow and you've never seen me and I, you know you understand how I think you understand what the challenges are you understand what I'm doing and I only know that answering these questions this way reflects that kind of thinking um, so my hope is that people will learn to understand they do have a unique and it's a talent to think in a certain way and they will be more smart about finding opportunities to put their hand up or give that to me or let me do that in the work they're doing because they're likely to do it faster, quicker and have more fun doing it. You know, give a builder a project, go and come up with a list of 100 new ways of doing this business. Oh, it'll be work. Give a visionary then a cup of coffee will be back in 10 minutes. And the, the quality of this is going to be better. So this is where we're coming from.
0: I guess, and, and this might
1: be a weird question
0: considering I haven't been inside a, a typical corporate organization for, for quite some time. But I wonder, why is this not the standard way in which organizational development is done, considering it seems like it has the potential to lead not only to uh, people being happier with their jobs, but people actually being better at their jobs.
1: Um, great question. So there are personality tests in corporations. Myers Briggs was an early one. It's migrated to DISC, and there's Enneagenetics. There's what color are you? Organizations are keen to help individuals understand that they're individuals and that not every individual is the same. Um, Where we differ is we're trying to say is don't spend any of your time doing what you're bad at. Try and find more and more time to spend what you're really good at. And yet organizations are more around, well, everybody needs to get on. We all need to be good at this. Most of us need to be do what we're told to do because that's the way hierarchies work. And, you know, there's work that needs to be done, so go and do the work. Um, The better organizations do not put constraints on how the work should be done, um, which helps people grow. But sadly, there are still lots of organizations that not only define the work, but actually define how you need to do it as well, which keeps us in this structural life that we weren't born to lead, but we just, well, I work to get the money. I don't take my body to work. I don't take my, I take my body, but not my brain to work. I do my hours. I'm paid for the work I do. Um, and, and what a waste of, of a life that might be. So we're keen to try and change that large organizations are difficult to penetrate. Um, they have to be shown why it works. They have to be shown how it works. It has to come in with credibility and references and, What's been exciting for us is instead of banging our heads against corporate walls, we say, well, let's go after startups. Let's go after entrepreneurs because these are people who need all the help they can get. They don't put up barriers. They hold their hands out and say, please help me as long as it doesn't cost me any money. And and it's been a great community to help us get this project off and running because it's, it's the right place for us to show we can really help. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It it makes me think back to uh, job experiences I had where I was performing poorly and I got put on a performance improvement plan. And and what what always struck me about those performance improvement plans was you suck at this thing. We're going to make you average at it instead of, hey, you're amazing at this one thing. Let's figure out how to make you world-class at it. Uh, And it, it seems that rather than optimizing for peak performance, what we do, uh, or what organizations do, is, is basically
1: try to uh, mitigate deficiency. I, I agree. I hate pips. Um, and, you know, talent management has, has come in. It used to be human resources, and now it's sort of talent management, and the people are they're sensitive that EQ now has a weighting where it was just IQ. They're sensitive that just because you can do it doesn't make you a good manager. Um, although typically it's still the right route to promotion is do a great job at what you can do and then we'll put you in a job that you weren't good at. <laughs> you don't know how to do, but it's more important. <laughs> um, and, you know, is that changing? Yes, I think it is. I mean, this economist's view of gloomy view of the world will be if corporations survive, that is what will happen. But if as it's changing, certainly in America, you know, startups become more the, the norm. People are entitled to get out there, build their own website, create their own communities. And and they could be just as smart, if not smarter, than the people who've been doing it differently for the last hundred years. Now, is money going to be the currency of the future? I have my doubts. We see all this um, Bitcoin and other currencies coming in. Like I said, I personally would like to see a barter system come in because if we can change the currency, then we can really start beginning to change the way people value what people are contributing and and hopefully um, change the way organizations define work and people don't have to work. They just live their lives and, and make a useful contribution doing so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I really I think I'm, I'm having a lot of questions lately in my mind about what is the way in which we're going to organize society, uh, because if you look at uh, various economic and social uh, economic and political systems throughout history, almost every one of them have failed in some form or another. Uh, you know, Capitalism, socialism, fascism, like all of them have, have had fatal flaws to them that haven't led to <clears throat> ideal outcomes for humanity. Uh, and I've never thought about it this way. But uh, but I wonder, in your mind, what do you think that the future of work will look like based
1: on your own research and your own knowledge? Um,
0: what do you hope it looks
1: like? Yeah, not, not work. Um, <laughs> I, I hope it looks like balance. I hope it, you know, some countries really value family. They really value time off for lunch. They really value vacation holiday time um and this is where you know scandinavia is a good example perhaps where you know there's a lot of people and a lot of an environment where there is balance there's balance in what they do how they live who they are they're soft on the planet they're comfortable in each other's company they often you know their after work drink is to go to a sauna so they're naked in front of each other i mean you know imagine that sitting down with your colleagues all naked that would change the way we look at work um so i I just hope it becomes life not work i think well
0: i have one final question for you which is how we finish all of our interviews the unmistakable creative what do you
1: think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable um being different you know it's this stickiness i i do talk to lots of startups i hear lots of pitching ideas i'm really curious as to whether the name they use is something I can remember and the next day I remember the idea and you know, the more you can go through life hopefully with something that's sticky um, that's to me how you become unmistakable because unfortunately most things aren't that sticky and uh, I don't really want to get my hands all sticky and I hope that Zona Genius has some stickiness to it but <laughs> it's it's tough you know i wish i was doing this when i was 20 not when i'm 50 um Mm. we can only get up every morning and try and uh, hopefully find the thing that works in our zone of genius and that trying is is valued by others in a useful way well i think that makes a really fitting
0: end to our conversation where can people find out more about you your work and everything that you're up to
1: um so the the website we're currently working under is, is my zone of genius i'm Very active on Twitter at my zone of genius. Um, Just type in Google zone of genius and I'm not all over the place, but I'm a good chunk of it. And even if you're not reading my zone of genius stuff and you are reading zone of genius stuff, it's a community that's really trying to help you focus on being the best you can be. And, And that's a community that I want to see grow. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared.
2: Have catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, Dreaming of something better? Well?